seems to me that there are few things worse in life than to just be on the outside looking in. To be on the outside and yet maybe to feel excluded, to feel unwanted, to feel unneeded. The last of the seven letters to the churches is a letter to the church at Laodicea. And what we remember about this congregation is that this is a church of Christ. This is a church that belonged to Christ. And yet it was a church that had Jesus on the outside looking in. So much so that the Savior is saying... Please let me in because I stand at the door and knock. When we look at Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 through 22, it is remarkably hard-hitting and that's something most of us remember about it. After all, Revelation 3.16, I will spit you out of my mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth. That's strong terminology any way we look at it. But this letter to the Laodicean church is also full of tenderness and compassion, so much so that in verses 20 and 21, Jesus says to this group of people, who had left him out of their lives, spiritually speaking, that if you let me in, I'll come in and we will dine together. We'll enjoy table fellowship. And there will be the intimacy of friendship there. But verse 21 goes on to say, not only will we enjoy table fellowship, Friend to friend, we'll enjoy throne fellowship too. And you can reign with me from my Father's throne. Talk about heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, Romans 8, 16, and 17. This book, at this point in Revelation 3 shows the compassion and great tenderness of Jesus to a group of Christians who had left Jesus out, who had excluded Christ. Four quick observations from this passage, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. In examining the passage and how it deals with letting Jesus in will deal first with Christ's self-designation. Christ's self-designation. Then secondly, what we'll deal with is Christ's assessment of the Laodicean church. Then third, we will deal with Christ's counsel and command to the church at Laodicea. And then, lastly, his promise. What does Jesus say about himself? Look at Revelation 3.14. That's a great thing to observe, his self-identification. 
He refers to himself in three different ways. The first way is as the amen. Now, amen is a word that we utter when a word of God has been proclaimed and we are behind it 100%. It's not unusual to hear amen in a sermon. Sometimes we will hear amen and often, uh, certainly in prayer at the close, may it be so, it is so. That's the idea, it is so, may it be so. And the idea here is this, Jesus is the amen who is completely, perfectly, utterly dependable. And the one that they are leaving on the outside who's asking to come into his own church is the one who's completely dependable. Keep this in mind because Christ's self-designation in each of the seven letters is the key that unlocks each letter. How he identifies himself tells us something that's either strong or lacking in the congregation, and in this case, it's what's lacking. Secondly, he identifies himself not just as the amen, the one who's completely, perfectly, and utterly dependable. He says he's the faithful and true witness, which sounds to me an awful lot like another way of saying he's the amen. He's completely, perfectly, and utterly dependable. He's the faithful and true witness. He's called the faithful witness in Revelation 1.5. One of the things you will notice in Revelation 2 and 3 is that the description of Jesus is likely going to come from Revelation 1.5-20. The faithful witness, Jesus. The faithful, the true one, Jesus, Revelation 3 and verse 7. Again, when we look at how Jesus identifies himself, he is the firstborn of all the creation. You may have the word beginning of all the creation. By that, think 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have been done away and all things have become new. Jesus is the source of the new creation. Jesus is the preeminent one of creation. He is the Lord and Master of the world and He is the Lord and Master of the new creation, His people, His children. So what about these three statements? By having Jesus on the outside, they're having the ruler, the firstborn, the preeminent one on the outside looking in, the faithful and true witness, the one who is utterly, perfectly, and completely dependable. Now notice this. As we consider Revelation 3, 14 through 22, Jesus offers an assessment of the church at Laodicea. 
And what I want us all to think about is this. As a congregation, we may not be what God sees us to be. That's possible, isn't it? As individuals, we may not be what God sees us to be. And Jesus, in his assessment, begins with this terminology. He says, I know your works. I am perfectly aware, I am thoroughly acquainted with you and your works. You see, the great physician is about to give them a health assessment. And what he is about to say to them is this. You have cancer, spiritually speaking. And you've not even been aware of the symptoms that you're showing. You see, Laodicea was a, pl a place, a city that had everything. It had everything except a good water supply. Sounds kind of like West Texas, doesn't it? We have a lot of good things out here in West Texas, but every month we get something from the city of Midland, the water department, saying you've got too much of this or not enough of this in your water. You've seen that a few times. If you've looked at it once or twice, it can get a little scary sometimes. Laodicea was the main city in what was called the Lycus Valley. There were two other cities that you might have heard of. Hierapolis was one of them. Hierapolis had hot springs, kind of like those that exist in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Or maybe those of you that have gone up to Wyoming and, 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 and the hot springs that are up there and so many other places throughout this world. Hierapolis was only six miles away and they had these wonderful hot springs that people from all over would come to because they wanted to enjoy the healing medicinal powers of that water. Then Colossae was another one of the cities there in the valley, the Lycus Valley. Colossae was known for having cold, refreshing water. Cold, refreshing water. The problem with the church there at Laodicea was that it didn't have warm, hot springs that provided healing for people, nor cold, refreshing water for those that were thirsty and in need of a good, cold glass of water. Here's what Jesus is saying. When he says, I wish you were hot or cold, he's saying, I wish you provided hot water like Hierapolis for people that are in need of spiritual healing. On the other hand, I wish you were more like Colossae and, and with their water supply. And they, they provided refreshment that was cold and icy and thirst quenching to people that were really thirsty. 
And as a result, when you think of the church at Laodicea, Troy, it's this church. It's not giving spiritual healing to people who need healing, who are sick. And it's not providing thirst-quenching power and life to people who are thirsty and desperate for a nice cold drink of water. What in the world is it doing spiritually then? Jesus says you're lukewarm. What I suggest is this. When you study Laodicea, you will find that they constructed an aqueduct made out of stone pipes. Jerry, this would be up your alley, my friend. Stone pipes, and they piped in water from several miles away. But the hot water became lukewarm and the cold water became lukewarm by the time it got there in the stone pipes. Laodicea had been drinking the water for too long of lukewarmness. Here's something to keep in mind about the seven churches of Asia because it's often true even today. Listen to me, please. Like city, like church. Like city, like church. And what I mean by that is sometimes the city in which you find a congregation has far more influence on the church than the church may have on the city. That was true with Laodicea, it seems. And so lukewarmness means that the people of Laodicea weren't providing healing for those that were spiritually sick and they weren't providing nourishment and refreshment for those who were thirsty and desirous of a closer relationship with God. They're lukewarm. They drunk the water. And notice how the assessment goes on. As we look at Revelation 3, 15 through 17, you have I, I, I. I am rich. I have been prospered. I have need of nothing. There was no problem with the Laodicean budget. The problem, it seems, was that the Laodiceans had compromised with the culture. And some of the trade guilds and trade relationships they had, they were able to be rich and they were able to have plenty but it came at the expense of compromise with pagan deities. And so what they did was emphasize trade agreements, pagan deities, compromise, and Jesus. And Jesus accused them of being lukewarm because they were. Then the Lord uses five terms 
five adjectives. You say that you are rich, that you prosper in all, that you have need of nothing. Oh, the self-sufficiency that can come sometimes when things go well for us in our city and Jesus is pushed out. And here's what Jesus says. He says, you are wretched. Same term found in Romans 7, 24 and 25 when Scripture says, oh, wretched man that I am. He says, you are pitiable. Same term found in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If we've only hoped in Christ in this life, we're of all men most pitiable. Then he goes on to talk about how you're poor and naked and blind. Remember what I said earlier? I said, Laodicea had everything except a good water supply, right? Here are three areas where they were unusually blessed. They were a banking center and were very well off financially. They were a banking center and were very well off financially. As a matter of fact, at some point an earthquake had struck Laodicea and the Roman Empire offered to help Laodicea rebuild and they said that won't be necessary. We can take care of that with what we have here. You think Midland, Texas could be rebuilt if an earthquake destroyed it by the money that exists in and around Midland? I think so too. So they were a financial center. Not just that, they were a clothing center where some particularly fine wool abounded. Some dark wool from sheep. This ended up becoming the type of thing that anybody that wanted to dress to impress would want to wear. This kind of wool. And it has its inception and marketing coming out of Laodicea and then Laodicea was known for its medical field they had medical schools and there was an ophthalmology school there in Laodicea that was known for its eye salve Jesus knows all things, Acts 1.24. And he says to them, you're poor, even though you're wealthy. You're naked, even though you are producers of some of the finest wool in the world. And you're blind and can't see, even though you're a medical hub for the entire part of the world. Do we see ourselves as Jesus does? One of the most conspicuous problems with lukewarmness 
is that we are really not aware of how God sees us. Number three, some counsel and a command. You would think that at this particular time, Jesus would let the hammer down. You would think at this particular point, Jack, that the good Lord would raise his voice. It's his church, his blood, it belongs to him, and he's on the outside of this congregation looking in, and they have not been dependable and trustworthy. They have not been genuine in presenting him to others. They have not shown people the life that can only be found in Jesus and the healing that can only be found in Him. And so what is especially striking here is how kind and gracious Jesus is. Look at 18 and 19. He says, I counsel you. The doctor says, let me give you a little piece of advice. I counsel you to buy from me gold tried by fire, to buy white garments, and to buy eye salve for their sick, blind eyes. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, Laodicea Church, won't you realize that apart from me, you can have nothing and do nothing? John 15, 4 and 5. Won't you realize that? I got to tell you, Adam, about this time, man, I'm thinking if I'm the preacher at Laodicea, I want to go, boom, right on somebody's head. What are you thinking? But Jesus is unlike me. And I suspect probably unlike you too. By the way he compassionately and graciously says, I counsel you to buy riches that have gone through the fire of affliction and been found truly valuable. 1 Peter 1, 7. I counsel you to buy white clothing from me, not the wool that will perish over time. I counsel you to buy eye salve from me so that you can see. That you can clearly see yourself as you really are. And then Jesus says, those that I love, I reprove and chasten or discipline. It's like Jesus is the great physician and, and the Laodicean churches come in for a checkup and they just think that they're going to hear nothing but good news. Everything seems to be looking good. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, but you've got cancer, spiritually speaking. And here is the worst aspect of being lukewarm. Listen. 
Lukewarmness robs Jesus and excludes him. It may be the most awful type of blasphemy in the whole world to rob Jesus and to exclude him from the place that is rightfully his. Those that I love, I reprove and chasten. Then here's the command, having given the counsel. Here's the command in verse 19. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Don't be lukewarm, be zealous. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Romans 12, verses 11 and 12. Think about letting me in and the relationship that we need to have as the Savior and the saved, as the King and the subjects, as family, the family of God. Finally, they are to repent unto life or have a true repentance and turn in their lives to honor God and give Him the place He deserves. Now notice this finally. Notice the promise. This book, this chapter, this section is really hard-hitting as I've already said, but it's so tender and no one has ever heard a greater promise. If you will let me in, I stand at the door and knock. If you will hear my voice and let me in, Jesus says, I'll come in. Hey, Philip, Carl, the Lord is perfectly capable of knocking the door down. After all, it's his church. And one might think he would rise up in self-defense to what is going on in his church. But he wants the people to take action and to let him in. And notice what he promises. If you do, we'll enjoy one another's company at the table. If you do... We'll reign together in glory from the Father's throne. And the chapter ends with hear what the Spirit says. He's just referred to the Father. He's just referred to Himself, the Son. And now He refers to the Spirit. We can be with the Trinity, with the Godhead forever. In glory. Hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. So we bring this lesson to a close. One of the things that I think is interesting in verses 20 and 21 is this. 
the Lord says, if anyone. There is a congregational aspect to all of this. Is Jesus welcome here? I'm not just asking tonight, brethren, if Jesus is welcome at the Lord's Supper table because that's His anyway. If Jesus is welcome in the auditorium because He's to be worshipped and praised here, He ought to be. Is Jesus welcome in the, in the foyer? And is He in our hearts and souls there? How about in the parking lot? Or when we get into our cars to leave this facility, is He welcome there or is He excluded? There is not one square inch of this facility where Jesus can't say, mine. Do we show that? But I'm not done. Since the passage says, anyone, that is very personal. It's very individual. Jim, is there any aspect of your life that you want to say anywhere, God, anywhere, Jesus, you can have in my heart, in my life, but this part? Is there any part of my life where I'll tell God, God, you can have any part of my life that you want, but I'm going to keep this part walled off from me? Not here. I wonder how many Christians... Believe everything that I have just said and yet think that there's some area of our life where we can leave Jesus out in the cold. The lesson is ours. But when we understand the nature of our Lord, there should be no right-thinking person that would ever say, Lord, you can have any part of my life and every part of my life, just not this part. It's all for you, Lord. A person who really believes that will have little trouble humbling themselves in faith and repentance and baptism and coming to Jesus. He is the Lord and the Master. His church... That's what it is. But your life belongs to Him too. Amen? Therefore, let no part of your life leave Him out. Let us stand and sing.